Do you have trouble sleeping? Can't seem to get that belly fat to budge no matter how hard you work out? It could be the stress monster. Welcome to the Perfect Metabolism Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Vance. I'm a nutritionist, yoga instructor, and author of the book, The Perfect Metabolism Plan. I've been focused on metabolism optimization for over a decade, and I'm here to tell you that contrary to popular opinion, it doesn't have to be all downhill after we hit 40. We can't see it or touch it, but we can feel its effects. And stress is a major factor in metabolic dysfunction. We all know stress is here to stay, so the key is making sure we have tactics to be able to better manage it. In today's episode, we're going to talk about stress and how it can lead to weight gain, digestive issues, mood disorders, brain fog, hormone imbalances, and how it can be the switch that turns on disease. And I'll give you 10 tips to get you back in the driver's seat and feel more in control. I'll also share some of my favorite stress-relieving and mood-boosting supplements, too. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Talk to your doctor if you have questions about how this information applies to you. So if you haven't met your stress hormones, let me introduce you to cortisol and adrenaline. Cortisol and adrenaline are kind of like your frenemies. On the one hand, they are your friend. They're survival hormones. They're essential for life. But on the other hand, when we have too much of them for too long, they can be your enemy, causing a long list of health issues and complaints. In order to understand the stress hormones and how they affect our metabolism, we need to understand our body's autonomic nervous system. It has two sides, the parasympathetic nervous system, which is sometimes referred to as our rest and digest side. When we're in a calm state, we're in that parasympathetic nervous system. That's when our body does its repair, its detoxification, our, our growth processes. The other side is the sympathetic nervous system. This is considered the fight or flight side. Now, stress hormones aren't necessarily bad, far from it. Our main stress hormone, cortisol, is actually essential for life and survival. Physiologically, if we were threatened by a predator or in an emergency situation, the sympathetic nervous system will kick into gear to prepare us to fight or for flight. How does it do that? Well, our liver releases sugar to give us a blood sugar spike to have energy to run on. Our stress hormones, cortisol and adrenaline, get released, and our heart rate increases, the blood vessels constrict, increasing our blood pressure and our volume. All of that gives us the energy, enhanced focus, and strength to fight for our lives or run for our lives. So in acute danger or stress, cortisol is really helpful. That process is necessary. The body is wise like that. Cortisol isn't only needed during times of stress or an emergency. It actually has a natural rhythm in our bodies. It's naturally a little bit higher in the morning, and that gives us the, you know, get up and go to kind of hop out of bed and get our day started. And then in the evening, when we're ready to settle down to sleep, it should be lower, that we're able to get into that calm state to fall asleep. The trouble is, when we have chronic stress for a long time, those healthy cortisol rhythms can get disrupted. They can even get kind of turned upside down. When they're supposed to be higher in the morning, they're low. We're depleted. We need that venti coffee to jump our engines and a large blueberry muffin and, you know, another coffee and some kind of carbs again at 10 in the morning. 
Then they can spike in the evening when they're supposed to be lower so we have a harder time settling down to sleep. If you're one of those people that lays in bed at night, your body is physically exhausted, but you can't sleep because all of a sudden your brain is thinking about, oh, what do I need to do tomorrow? Ruminating on maybe something you did or said wrong today, etc., and so forth. You know the phrase, tired but wired? It's very common when we're running on stress hormones for our bodies to be physically tired, but our brains not allowing us to sleep. The the sympathetic side of our autonomic nervous system is survival. So by default, it's always going to be prioritized over the parasympathetic side. We don't need to digest, detox, or procreate if we're running for our lives, right? So during a stress response, all of those systems are kind of made dormant. Digestion, fertility, immune system, detox, sleep, repair, they all take a back seat because we got to survive in order to do those things. And our energy and our hormones are diverted to survival. Now, if a threat is gone, our autonomic nervous system should be able to return to that state of homostasis or balance. In Paleolithic times, our ancestors either escaped to safety, (laughs) they didn't escape and they were the tiger's lunch, or maybe they killed the tiger and it was their lunch. If they had escaped and survived, the autonomic nervous system would get the message that the threat had passed and return to the parasympathetic side, which is that calm and safe feeling. The trouble today is we're chronically in that sympathetic, dominant, stressed out state. We feel threatened and amped up, not by a saber-toothed tiger, but by deadlines, traffic jams, newsfeed, angry people, family dynamics, work, politics, financial issues being available 24-7 by text, computer, and phone, caffeine and sugar, the list goes on and on. Even just turning on the news or scrolling through our Instagram feeds can spike our stress hormones. So the autonomic nervous system feels like it's running from a saber-toothed tiger all the time, but we're sitting at work, driving in traffic, or laying in our bed at midnight staring at the ceiling wishing we could turn our brain off to sleep. Chronic stress and high cortisol is an underlying cause of insomnia that I think is often overlooked. The research supports this. A study published in Sleep Science in 2015 found that in people with insomnia without depression, high cortisol was very common. Chronic stress also contributes to blood sugar issues. A release of sugar from the liver causing a blood sugar spike is useful if we need a burst of energy to run, but if our blood sugar is spiking all day long from stress while we're sitting at our desk in front of our computer, that's going to create metabolic issues. A wise doctor once said, stress is like eating candy without the enjoyment of actually eating the candy because you get the blood sugar spike without the enjoyment. Chronic high cortisol is also associated with stubborn belly fat. Cortisol is a steroid hormone, so it can actually help to reduce inflammation in the short term. But if it stays elevated for an extended period, it can cause an increase in inflammation and a lower immune response. So again, you can see the good and the bad side. Short term, it can be helpful. In the long term, it can be damaging. It's kind of like inflammation itself. Chronic stress can affect our digestive system, too. When energy is diverted away from the digestion for survival mechanisms, it can make our digestion sluggish, leading to issues like constipation and slow motility. And down the road, those can lead to things like IBS and small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. 
It can also do the exact opposite in some people, causing loose stools, diarrhea, you know, nervous stomachs. Chronic stress can also cause high cholesterol and hormone imbalances. Cholesterol is what is referred to as the mother of all our hormones, right? It's the raw material that our cortisol and testosterone and estrogen and our other hormones are made from. Like cortisol, calling cholesterol bad is ridiculous. It's essential for survival. Cholesterol is in every single cellular membrane in our body, in our brain. And remember that survival takes priority in the body. So if we're cranking out cortisol all day long, day after day, the body's going to do a couple things when it gets low. It's going to call on the body to produce more raw material to make more, which can raise our cholesterol levels. Stress, high levels of stress will send our cholesterol up. Or it can do another thing. It can steal from our sex hormones, and this is called the pregnenolone steal. This means our sex hormones like estrogen and testosterone get diverted to be made into the stress hormones like cortisol. This can lead to hormone imbalances and even fertility issues. So as you can see, stress affects nearly every single aspect of our health. Trying to function in a chronic stressed out state all of the time is a losing battle. I always say you can't keep the foot on the gas pedal all the time. You gotta hit the brakes occasionally, right? And I have been there before. Listen, does this scenario sound familiar? The alarm goes off you are still exhausted. Maybe you didn't even fall asleep until like three in the morning, right? So you hit the snooze three, maybe four times. Well, 30 minutes passed and you look over at the clock. Oh, snap, I'm going to be late. That gets your stress hormones pumping. The stress of running late gives you a burst of adrenaline and cortisol, so you jump out of bed. But then you have to drag yourself to the coffee machine. I mean, nothing happens till a cup of coffee or three, right? <laughs> Nice sugary breakfast to fire up the engines more, then you're good to go. That is, until the 10 a.m. slump. Oh, nothing a strong coffee and some sugar won't fix. That dance between sugar, carbs, and caffeine and stress of the day goes on until evening. If you get home, if you have enough energy to make dinner, I don't know if it's going to be a healthy dinner, maybe you drive through the drive through Well, a nice glass of wine or, well, okay, half bottle is helpful. you got to take that edge off, right? By bedtime, you're exhausted and can't wait to get into bed. But then you lie there for hours waiting to sleep, brain reviewing the day, thinking about what needs to be done tomorrow. And if you drank a glass or three of wine, it's going to be waking you up in the middle of the night. You're going to have to go to the bathroom because that's what alcohol does to us. It can also cause a blood sugar drop in the middle of the night as well, causing us to wake up again from that. So even if you do sleep, you might not be sleeping through the night anyway. And if you're sitting there laying there thinking about trying to sleep, you're stressing about not sleeping, knowing you're going to feel horrible the next day if you don't sleep. So this only keeps those stress hormones firing. Worse, maybe you grab your iPad or phone to read a book or pass the time, and that blue light interferes with your melatonin production. That's going to just put the nail in the coffin for your good night's sleep. Hey, if this is sounding familiar, don't worry. I can relate so well. I lived it for far too many years. When I used to work in the software industry and I would stress about my work, I would sometimes leave myself voicemail messages in the middle of the night 
And then if I did that, a lot of times I could kind of let it go, you know, and I would be able to fall asleep and just think, all right, I'll deal with that tomorrow. But one time I went to work the next morning and I'd forgotten that I did that. And I came in and got my messages and heard this breathy, scary voicemail. At first, I had no idea who it was. It was me dealing with the stress monster. My heart goes out to that version of myself and to the millions of people dealing with excess stress that is causing them sleepless nights. It's estimated that 63% of women and 54% of men have trouble sleeping at least once a week. And an estimated one in seven people have long-term insomnia. It's no surprise that the global sleep market for sleep aids is over $60 billion and expected only to rise. Sleep is so important for detoxification, recovery, and poor sleep can lead to increased cravings and hunger the next day. Just one night of poor sleep can lead to um, insulin issues the next day, and long-term poor sleep can contribute to insulin resistance. Over time, excess stress, poor sleep can lead to a myriad of health issues, including blood sugar dysregulation, stubborn weight gain, fatigue, obviously, cholesterol and blood pressure issues, and an increased risk for diseases, including stroke, heart attack, and even cancers. Now, cortisol isn't the only hormone involved in the stress response. Did you know that stress hormones can be addictive? In addition to cortisol, stress releases dopamine, one of our feel-good brain chemicals. You know the feeling you get when you ride on a roller coaster? Stress can cause a natural high by activating the arousal and attention centers of our nervous system, which if prolonged can be kind of addictive like drugs. So, you know, people who are always like stirring up stress, that could be part of the reason why they're doing that. Um, Also, if you're a procrastinator, you might be relying on a hit of stress hormones and dopamine in order to give you that energy and push to get the job done. So you wait until the last minute until that stress of the deadline kicks in. So when we're talking about these hormones that get out of balance and this high cortisol that's causing all of these metabolic problems in our body, high cortisol is bad, but maybe even worse is severely low cortisol. And the longer we keep that gas pedal to the metal, the more likely we're going to end up in what's called burnout or adrenal fatigue. And that just feels like absolute crushing fatigue. And it can also show up in the opposite signs. And you might even have low blood pressure. So if you're one of those people that gets dizzy upon standing, um, just feeling exhausted all the time, can't you know participate in regular life, it could be that you, your gas pedal has been down so long that you're absolutely depleted of cortisol. So if you're wondering if you're dealing with side effects of too much stress, it could be high or low cortisol. Some signs can be stubborn weight gain. High cortisol causes the weight gain in the midsection, that insomnia, tired but wired feeling, blood sugar dysregulation, digestion issues, um, blood pressure dysregulation. Some may have high, some may have low. This is often very, very connected to the blood sugar issues as well and the stress. Um, elevated cholesterol, because again, it's the mother of all our hormones. It's going to pump the, it's so essential to life that the body will actually make more cholesterol as it's needed. 
Things like hormone imbalances and fertility issues can be a problem. If you're getting sick a lot, that, that can be high levels of stress lowering the immune system. Think about the last three years when we were in the pandemic. That was super stressful for people. That definitely wasn't helping our immune systems, right? Another sign can be stress fractures or osteoporosis, feeling depleted, overwhelmed, brain fog, losing kind of your edge because cortisol can really affect the brain. And also something like resenting other people who enjoy downtime, who have healthy boundaries. Uh, other things are under eye bags or age spots and really relying on things like wine or alcohol to chill out and take the edge off. So if you can relate to any of those things, listen, don't stress out. That's the last thing I want to do is add to your stress. Awareness is the first step in any change. And in a second, I'm going to give you actionable ways to deal with stress. And believe me, I've been there. And the majority of people in this country are majorly dominant on the sympathetic autonomic nervous system side. Let me share another little story. Um, when I was in my 20s, I had just completed a 10K race on a sort of overcast, drizzly day. And after the race, I got pretty chilled and my fingers suddenly turned ghostly white. And they felt cold to the touch and, and, you know, a little bit lost some of their sensitivity, right? I could not get them warmed up. The only thing that got my circulation back was I went home and stood in a warm shower. For, I had to have been at least 20 minutes before the circulation came back into my fingers. I knew this was not a normal thing, so I went to my doctor. This was before you could Google stuff. I had to go to my doctor, and I explained what happened, and he told me, oh, yeah, that sounds like Raynaud's. And he did some blood work, and he found that my anti-nuclear antibody, ANA, came back as positive. And he said that Raynaud's and an anti-nuclear antibody can be an indicator that there's autoimmune disease. So he sent me to a rheumatologist for further testing. They ran a bunch, I don't know, they took like eight vials of blood, took a bunch of tests, and they all came back normal. So therefore, I fortunately did not receive a diagnosis of autoimmune disease. But I'll never forget what that doctor said to me. He said that my positive ANA was a marker for autoimmune disease, but the disease had not manifested yet. So it was important to take care of myself and keep my stress levels in check because he said stress can be the thing that turns the switch on, that turns on that disease, the, takes the genes, the predisposition to autoimmunity and turns on the disease mechanism of autoimmunity. Have you ever heard the expression, the genes load the gun, but stress pulls the trigger? Stress, though, I thought to myself, what does a 20-something have to do, you know, how is, how am I stressed out? I'm not. I'm only 20. At the time, I, I didn't really think I was under stress. But looking back, I definitely was. Not only was I stressing myself out with too much caffeine and sugar, not enough protein. I was kind of vegetarian at that time, which was not good for my, my body type and um, what I was needing at that time. I was also, you know, I was in my 20s. I was still partying too hard and drinking too much alcohol. 
And I was really into distance running back then. So I had the gas pedal down, not only just during my normal daytime, but my workouts weren't rejuvenating me. They were um, catabolic, breaking, breaking my body down. And to top it all off, I had an undiagnosed gluten intolerance and a B12 deficiency at the time that I didn't know about it. I had that gas pedal down 24-7, and I was not filling up my gas tank. So I was slowly depleting myself. It wasn't until many years later that I realized how stressed out I had been for many, many years and how to take better care of myself. There are many things we can do to take back control of our stress hormones and feel more balanced. And again, awareness is that first step in change. Every small step we take towards balancing our nervous system and self-care is going to add up big time. But just know, sometimes it's an uncomfortable feeling to become aware that we've been feeding the stress monster or maybe not taking the best care of ourselves. The way to fix that is taking action. So let me give you a few rules for lowering stress. First and foremost, we got to prioritize you and your health. Do you find yourself regularly saying, oh, I just have to get through this project, deadline, deal, or event, and then I'll get healthy, sleep more than four hours a night again, start to take care of myself, find time to rest and relax, take that vacation I've been putting off, be able to slow down, clean up my diet, stop eating all this sugar all day long, start to exercise again. I find some of the most hardworking, kind, giving, and reliable people on this planet are also the most depleted because they're the go-to people. When someone needs something done, they're the ones to rely on, right? But so many health issues, including serious ones, can often be traced back to putting oneself and their health at the bottom of their priority list for too long. My motto is you can't pour from an empty cup. If we continue to pour from our cup without refilling it, we're going to eventually have nothing left to give at some point. So when you're prioritizing yourself, you feel happier and healthier, and you become a better employee, a better parent, a better partner. You know how the flight attendant tells you to put on your air mask first? Yep. That same rule applies here. You got to take care of yourself first. We have to get comfortable saying the word no. One of the most important steps for prioritizing our health is to know the power of no. That's something it took me a long time to learn. There are only so many hours in a day. If other people are using up all your time for their goals, there's nothing left for you. So learning how to say no is critical. And it doesn't always have to be a firm no. It could be not right now or maybe not today or rain check. Or let's say you're being asked to add a new work project piled on top of the five others you're already dealing with that are all emergencies. It might not be no, but it could be which of these current projects can be put on the back burner to prioritize this one. So just getting comfortable of having those boundaries and staying true to them. Another thing that's really helpful is making sure we're incorporating self-care. That is going to really help to get the nervous system into balance. Immerse yourself in self-care practices or even just try and sprinkle them in to your day here and there can be things like meditation, even just being out in nature, um, healthy movement, nourishing meals, joyful experiences, um, things like yoga, 
and um, even just any kind of activities you enjoy. I used to work as the nutritionist at the Golden Door Spa, which is a week-long immersion into all things self-care. And I always felt like the guests had a certain glow by midweek because of all that wonderful self-care they were, they were doing. Um, and even if you can't go to a fancy spa, you can have self-care at home. Maybe you love walking or hiking or yoga or Tai Chi or Pilates. Find a way to carve time out to keep that going. And self-care is really truly an expression of self-love. All health comes from a place of self-love. When we make choices for ourselves that are loving choices from choosing healthy meals and snacks to our activities, we're showing ourselves love. The older I get, the more I realize that self-care, it's not a nice to have, it's a need to have. So don't feel guilty if you're taking time out for something frivolous. If you enjoy it, it's worth it. I can remember one of my private um, clients at Golden Door said that one of her things she liked to do was just sit by her pool and read a magazine. And I said, do you sometimes feel guilty doing that? And she said, yeah. And I'm like, don't, because that's rejuvenating to you. It's not selfish at all. It's smart and could potentially prevent a health crisis down the road. And just remember, you don't have to overhaul your whole life overnight. Start small, believe it or not, a little self-care goes a very long way. The next thing is practicing sleep hygiene. Sleep hygiene means allowing our body time to move from that sympathetic dominant side into the parasympathetic or rest and digest side. It's important to signal to the body that it's time to calm down, that it's safe and settle, you know, for the body to settle down to sleep. So in order to make the body feel safe, we have to turn off stimulants, both physical and mental stimulants before bed. Turn off those electronic devices like our iPhones and iPads at least one hour before bedtime. Because in addition to the content being stimulating to our brain, the blue light interferes with the body's sleep hormone melatonin. Another way to kind of settle the body down is taking a nice bath in the evening. Um, Epsom salt baths are even an extra boost because you can absorb calming minerals like magnesium and relax your muscles, calm your nervous system. And if you're one of those people that doesn't love baths, I'm oddly one of those people that does not love baths, you can get a lot of the benefits just from doing a foot soak. Um, I've had people tell me that just soaking their feet in some Epsom salts before bed really helps them with their sleep. So, you know, it doesn't need to be long. In fact, you just, you know, maybe like a 10 to 15 minute soak in the bath or a foot soak and then rinse off um, afterwards in the shower. Other things you can do in the evening is turn the lights down, listen to calming music, um, enjoy some um, essential oils, that kind of thing. So the next thing to think about is exercising smarter, not harder. This is a really important one because on the one hand, exercise can help to lower our stress hormones, right? But it's when we're overdoing it, especially when we're already in a stressed out state, it can further raise our cortisol and stress hormones. This can cause us to really deposit more fat in our midsections. So if you're hitting the gym harder and harder, but your belly fat isn't budging at all, your workouts could actually be backfiring because high-intensity workouts for too long can cause that cortisol. 
So consider for a little while even just swapping that hour-long spin ride or hard runs for a yoga class and walking. You might be surprised to see what happens after several weeks. And this doesn't necessarily have to be forever. It's just when we can get ourselves a little bit less stressed out chronically when our body can actually handle those types of exercises again. Think about it this way. When we lift weights, we're breaking down our muscle. It's when we rest that the muscle builds back up stronger. So rest is really part of, you know, where the gains happen. So we need to rest to reap the rewards of our workout. So even things, if you really do like the cardio, consider doing like short bursts of cardio. So um, short bursts of cardio mixed in with weight training or, or lower intensity. So um, that's another thing you can do. I go into this in depth in chapter 10 of my book, The Perfect Metabolism Plan, How to Exercise Smarter, Not Harder. So the next tip is limiting caffeine, sugar, and alcohol. This is a tough one. I know I've been there because when you are just absolutely exhausted, you kind of almost need caffeine to function, right? So one thing you can do is just cut back slowly. Make sure you're not drinking caffeine too late in the day. A lot of people kind of need to keep it no none afternoon. Um, you know, a cup of coffee in the afternoon can definitely be affecting you at bedtime. Some people are so sensitive that morning coffee keeping is keeping them awake at night. Another consideration would be to swap coffee for green tea. It has caffeine but less and it's also really beneficial to so many aspects of our metabolism and anti-cancer and all of that. Um, as far as the sugar, it's a double-edged sword with cortisol. On the one hand, carbs and sugar help to lower cortisol, which is probably part of the other reason we we crave it when we're stressed out, right? Because we know it helps to lower our cortisol. Um, but at the same time, sugar is also stimulant and it causes, it's only going to contribute to the blood sugar dysregulation. So when you're in a stressed out state, you want to be choosing those stabilizing slower burn carbs. Um, so make sure your carbohydrates have some kind of fiber in them, are nutritious, deliver some vitamins and minerals. Um, it's interesting one of the things that can happen is if you're going on a low-carb diet, that can actually negatively cause higher levels of stress because, um, again, because that the carbohydrates help to settle down our cortisol levels. So oddly, one of the best meals, this is kind of opposite of what we're told, um, to have our complex carbs like pasta or rice is dinner time because it helps to turn our cortisol down at night and help you sleep. I remember, um, well, my mom sometimes has trouble sleeping, and I remember asking her, she said, oh, I had one really great night's sleep and two really bad ones, and I asked her what she had for dinner, and the night she slept really well, she had pizza, and I'm like, oh, that could be part of it. So pay attention to that, notice, you know, and I always say when you're looking at adding carbohydrates um, into the dinner, make sure you're still getting that protein, you're still getting the those nice um, vegetables, and then your your carbohydrates does not have to be an entire plate of pasta or pizza, but a small serving, a small, you know, section of your plate, like a quarter of the plate. Half the plate can be plant-based veggies, and then your protein on the other side. So I'm going to do a whole episode on carbs coming up because I think a lot of people are really confused, and it's one of the more controversial ingredients. So Definitely subscribe so you don't miss that one. 
My next tip is taking time for soul food. One of the things that can happen when we're an overachiever is we stop making time for the things that I say fill up our cup, and that's what I call soul food. I'm not talking about the soul food that you eat. I'm talking about the kind that feeds your soul. It's the activity. It's something you enjoy. It lets you escape your day-to-day stress. Soul food is not something you ever would feel obligated to do, but you look forward to. It helps you relax. It's very individual, too. Like arts and crafts might be something that you can lose yourself in. It's a happy escape. It just distracts your mind. It calms your entire body. Or it could feel like torture to someone. Other things that can be soul food, yoga, cooking, gardening. Someone might find those things relaxing. Some other person might find them exhausting. So just know it's individual. And ask yourself, when was the last time I did something just for the fun of it? Maybe you're someone that regularly carves soul food out, and that's amazing. And and pat yourself on the back for that. But if it's been so long that you literally have no idea what your soul food is, don't stress out. I can't tell you how many people tell me that they don't know what their soul food is when I ask them. If it's been a long time, I suggest taking what I call the soul food challenge. Just get out a piece of paper, come up with a list of things that you enjoy, and then schedule time in your calendar for it. Make it a positive experience to explore hobbies and activities that you like, not a chore. Don't make yourself feel guilty about it. Don't judge yourself if you, you know, don't immediately carve time in. Just come back to awareness and um, try and prioritize it. Put it in the calendar in Sharpie so you can't cross it out and do something else. Get in that habit of taking time out for things that you enjoy. It really, truly goes an amazingly long way towards healing your nervous system. Because when we engage in something that brings us joy, it naturally lowers our stress levels, improves our mood, and it's like giving ourselves a little gift of relaxation. And time. Time is, you know, time is very limited. And when we give ourselves time, that's a true gift. The next tip I have is get grounded. So we are like energetic beings. And in today's world, we are disconnected from the energy of the earth. And grounding is a therapeutic technique that involves doing activities that ground us or or electrically reconnect us to the earth. So getting outside and walking barefoot on the grass or the beach or something like that can literally help to ground us. If you have a pet that is outside a lot, they will pass that grounding on to you as well. Um, If, you know, say you live in a place where it's like five degrees right now and you can't really get out and ground, you can get um, a grounding mat. Uh, It's actually been linked to lowering inflammation and pain, better sleep. And a 2023 study found um, grounding was helpful for lowering stress. I ordered a grounding mat and pillowcase for my mom and my whole family this Christmas. And my mom um, noticed a reduction in her back pain. Um, And she's also been sleeping on the grounding pillow and noticed her sleep scores and her sleep has been better. So um, I linked to the mat and the pillowcase that I ordered below if you're interested in the show notes. So just to kind of review those those tips before I move into supplements, 
First, you want to make sure you are prioritizing you and yourself and your health. You know, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, right? Prioritize yourself. And number two, incorporate that self-care time, um, you know, things like yoga, anything that helps you to kind of just rebalance yourself and and practice self-care. Number three, really focus on good settling down in the evening for that sleep hygiene to help get that nervous system out of sympathetic mode into parasympathetic mode. Exercise smarter, not necessarily harder, especially if you're in a really stressful time because really hard, long exercises like hour-long spinning classes can actually spike cortisol. Limit that caffeine, sugar, and alcohol, or look for some alternatives like green tea um, and complex carbs instead of the sugar. Number six, take time for that soul food, that stuff that fills up your cup. Number seven, get grounded to the earth. Now, I want to talk a little bit about nutrients and supplements that are really important when we're stressed out. This is one of the times when supplements can be beneficial because if we're super depleted, um, this can help us to kind of bring reduce our stress hormones, calm our nervous system, and, and activate our calming neurotransmitters so we can get those stress hormones back in a northern rhythm. One thing that can be really helpful are amino acids. They are basically found in proteins and their precursors to neurotransmitters. And neurotransmitters are important brain chemicals that affect our mood, attention, anxiety, focus, and even pain. And so when neurotransmitters are out of balance, we can feel out of balance too. One uh, amino acid that I really like, it's my favorite one, is L-theanine. And L-theanine is naturally occurring in green tea. So that's another benefit you get when you drink green tea is you're going to get a little bit of L-theanine. L-theanine um, has been shown to reduce anxiety, and it, but at the same time, it doesn't make you tired. This is one of the cool things about it. It actually increases your mental alertness and your focus. L-theanine also can help to clear out some free glutamates in the brain, which those can actually make us anxious and nervous, and so that can help to calm us down. Um, I also find L-theanine can be useful in the evenings when you're looking to take that edge off and you're reaching for that glass of wine, L-theanine can be something that can help to do that. So if you're looking to try and cut down on the amount of alcohol you're drinking, L-theanine sometimes can be helpful. L-theanine's nickname is Nature's Xanax, so you can kind of guess you know, how amazing it is for calming um, our nervous system. And you can get it in supplements, in liquid form, um, and again, you're going to find it naturally occurring in green tea. Another class of um, supplements are adaptogens, and adaptogens are herbs that help to do exactly what their name suggests. They help the body adapt to stress. They also can support the immune system and metabolism and energy. A couple of adaptogens that I really like are ashwagandha, also known as Indian ginseng, and it it's kind of um, helps support healthy joints, tissue, immune system, energy production, can benefit the thyroid, and it can also really help to stabilize the mood. Some people find that they want to cycle on and off of ashwagandha, 
um, because it can, in some people, be almost too effective and kind of make your mood flat. Um, so sometimes if you notice that, um, you know, it might just be too powerful for you. Um, but ashwagandha can really help to stabilize things. Um, rhodiola is another wonderful adaptogen, and that's one that can really help to boost energy, especially. Uh, it can moderate stress, reduce fatigue. Um, it can also be helpful in supporting short-term memory and concentration and improve the neurotransmitter levels and even support energy metabolism. And another adaptogen is um, lemon balm. And that, that one is really calming to the nervous system. I find that one to be really nice at night. Another thing that can help a lot is the mineral magnesium. It's sometimes called the calming mineral. Most people are deficient in magnesium, and high stress levels tend to further deplete magnesium levels. So a lot of people will benefit from taking a magnesium supplement. Um, I always just recommend the, avoiding the oxide form because it's poorly absorbed and has more of a laxative effect. That one's just kind of the cheapest form. Um, good sources of magnesium include malate, orotate, glycinate, and if you want to really use magnesium for brain calming effects, consider magnesium threonate. So, you know, a good dose, most capsules would be about 125 milligrams, and just taking one of those before bed can be helpful. The other thing that magne and again, you're going to soak up magnesium if you're laying in an Epsom salt bath, so that's another option um, to get magnesium that way. Magnesium was also important for about 350 biochemical processes in the body, including vitamin D conversion. Um, so it's, it's really super important. It's also important for our heart health and heart rhythms. And if you have restless leg syndrome, which is another reason why people can have trouble sleeping, magnesium might be helpful for that as well. Now, the B vitamins are important for creating neurotransmitters and also really excreted more during times of stress. So that's why it's often recommended that people supplement with a high-quality, full B-complex vitamin. Um, my favorite one is one called B-Supreme. Um, that one, I just really like the forms of all the different B vitamins and the, num the doses that they've put in there. And I linked to that one. That's the one that I take, B-Supreme. And I don't take it every day. Um, but um, most, most days of the week when I remember, I take, a, take the B Supreme. Another thing that can be helpful is probiotics. And when I say probiotics, there are literally hundreds of strains of probiotics. So, um, you know, one that you can find that's very specific to mood is a good one. I linked to one that we just recently discovered that's really good. It's called, it's a mood probiotic, and it's very, very powerful and strong for benefiting the mood. Um, Probiotics can be helpful because the gut and the brain are very closely connected, and the majority of our um, serotonin, which is um, one of our po positive um, mood neurotransmitters, is actually made in our gut. So if our gut is unhealthy, we're going to have trouble with manufacturing our neurotransmitters. So um, I'm, I linked to that mood probiotic in the show notes below as well. It's been really, really powerful. So... Um, to wrap it up, I just want to say thank you so much for being here today, for you know tuning into this podcast, for and just carving out this time for yourself. I hope this episode will give you the permission you need to put yourself on the top of the priority list, and hopefully you have some good tactics for calming the nervous system. Just remember, 
in order to have a healthy metabolism and a healthy life and be able to show up as our best selves, we need to prioritize ourselves. So it's not selfish to say no or not right now or to take time out for ourselves. It's self-care. And we will be the best us we can be when we do that. Chapter 7 of my book, The Perfect Metabolism Plan, is dedicated to strategies for lowering stress and improving sleep because it's truly critical for a healthy metabolism. And if you're interested in seeing what your cortisol levels are, you can talk to your doctor or um, there's a cool uh, company called My Lab Box where you can order a lot of your own tests and they've got a test to measure your cortisol. And I've got a link below to My Lab Box as well. So thanks again for tuning in, and we'll see you next time on the Perfect Metabolism Podcast.